We're going to read two passages today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 10 is our first one. Hear the word of God. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And then if you would turn with me uh, next to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we'll read verses 15 through 23. Starts with Nathan having confronted David over his sin with Bathsheba and uh, his murder of Uriah the Hittite. Verse 15, it says, Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you would help me to uh, draw the lessons out from these passages and others, that uh, you would have me speak to this, your people, that uh, you would give them your comfort, your instruction, that you would sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth, and we love it, Father. And It is our desire to worship you and to please you with our responses to your scriptures. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. may be seated. Charles Spurgeon once said, I usually feel more dissatisfied with my prayers than with anything else I do. How many can be forced to make that as your testimony? I know it's definitely been true of me. I really want to grow in my prayer life, but I think a close second to being dissatisfied with my prayer life would be 
being dissatisfied with my responses to God's answers to my prayers. Uh, how many times do we forget to thank God? I mean, we're even praying at the meal, Lord, bless this food to our body's use. How many times do we thank God that He has indeed blessed that food to our body's use? We haven't gotten food poisoning or some other, uh, some other uh, malady. We need to be a more thankful people and we need to learn how to worship when God says no to our prayers. Uh, I um, love Job chapter 1. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorite portions. I've got lots of favorite portions of Scripture, but in Job chapter 1, it says that Job daily prayed for his children. You know, lest they have sinned, he, he made sacrifices to the Lord for them, and he prayed for their well-being. And for many, many years, God answered his prayers wonderfully, but there was a day when God said no, and he killed all of Job's children. That, that was an incredible shock to Job. And I wonder many times how I would have reacted to that uh, if the Lord had done that to me. God just wiped out his family. Well, his wife uh, was left, but uh, he lost uh, all of his possessions in, in one day. Well, it's not as if Job did not mourn and weep. He did mourn and weep, but that was not all that he did. It says, Then Job arose tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So today we're going to be looking at... Uh, the subject of God's no answers to our prayers. This is going to be a theology of no. And we really need to understand it. And for those of you who are curious, we're departing from our Acts series for three or four weeks just to try to deal with some uh, subjects that have come up that have troubled people, I think are common to all of us. And uh, the one we're going to look at today is a big one because some of you get discouraged when it looks like God's just not answering your prayers. And you wonder, where is God? Where am I, you know, in God's plan? What is going on here? And um, if you're a believer, I can assure you, God does not ignore you. I think it's better to think of it that God does answer, but He answers uh, either yes or wait or no. Uh, but He is answering our prayers. And the Scriptures indicate that a no answer from the Lord is a blessing. It's a blessing in disguise, and sometimes it is a tremendous a blessing from the Lord. And if you want to follow along, we're going to be uh, starting out in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and we'll end with 2 Sa Samuel chapter 12. But this is going to be a topical sermon. I don't usually give topical ones, but we're going to be ranging all over the Scriptures. And we're going to start off here looking at some of the reasons why it is that God says no in our lives. We're going to start with uh, David's no, and the reason God gave a no to David's prayer concerning the healing of this child, totally different from his reason to Job. See, Job, uh, it says, his sin had nothing to do with God's answer of no. Because Job was praying for his children's safety, and he didn't answer. He, well, he did answer. He said, no, today I'm going to take your children out. Totally different reason. And he gives two reasons as to why... It was that he said no to David. The first one is that David and Bathsheba needed God's loving discipline. And you might think, well, what about the child? Why is God taking it out on the child? Uh, why doesn't he take it out on the parents? You know, what has the child done that he needs to be taken out? Let me assure you, that child 
was delighted to get to heaven quicker than David. Uh, he wasn't in any bad state. Um, uh, we shouldn't feel sorry for the child, and nor should we actually feel sorry for uh, David and Bathsheba because this was indeed discipline from the hand of a very loving God in their lives. Verses 13 and 14. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sins. This is a wonderful, wonderful word that even despite the fact that David had incredibly bad sins, that he had committed murder and adultery, that when he confessed his sins, he repented, he renounced those sins, there was reconciliation with the Father. And uh, so this is something that I think we need to rejoice in, that God is not the kind of a God who puts us in the doghouse for you know, long periods of time where you're sweating it out. No, if there is sin and it's been repented of, He does have a restored relationship with His children. He goes on and He says that there's also a reduction of discipline. You shall not die. Okay, There would have been death, it looks like, but because of repentance, there is a lessening of that discipline. But I want you to notice verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who was born to you shall surely die. What he's indicating is that they need to, needed to learn that the way of a transgressor is hard. It, it's a tough thing uh, to be in rebellion against the Lord. Some people think, oh, God doesn't discipline us. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He never uh, would do something difficult and hard in our lives. Well, you haven't read the Bible very clearly because God definitely loves us enough to discipline. And he says it is an act of his love. Um, some people take forgiveness so much for granted that uh, they just um, you know, treat it as if it's a, a light thing. There was a, a Christian organization that Jay Adams told me about out in California that had ripped off a woman of a huge sum of money. It was all of her retirement savings and more. And <clears throat> she confronted, it was illegal what they had done. She confronted them about it and they repented. And they said, we're, we're sorry, please forgive us. So she forgave them and she said, okay, can I have my money back now? <clears throat> and they said, well, now that you've forgiven us, we don't have to give you the money back. That's just a total, total misunderstanding of what forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness restores fellowship, but it does not mean there's no restitution and it doesn't mean necessarily that there's no discipline. Now, there was a lessening of discipline here, but discipline was part and parcel in both the Old and the New Testaments of God's loving care for His people. Psalm 99, verse 8 says, You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. He's saying, yeah, they were forgiven, but they still got spanked. Maybe it was a lessening of the spanking that they needed to get because God saw, okay, there's a tender heart there, but uh, discipline was not an option. And so that's the first reason that uh, God sometimes says no, is that He is disciplining us, and when there's quick repentance... Uh, we can have a lessening of discipline. Second reason he gives is in that same verse, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. So here he's saying, it's for the sake of others that I am disciplining you. It's for a testimony's sake that I am doing this. God did not want his character being blasphemed. He did not want his holiness being thought poorly of when he just ignored and you know did not deal with clear 
out rebellion against His Word. It would be blasphemy against His nature. The New Testament says the same thing. There are times where our behavior, like in Titus, it talks about relations of husbands and wives. Our behavior can blaspheme the Word of God and say, he says, for testimony's sake, I've got to bring some discipline into your life. So here's a case where God says no because He cares about other people. He cares what they think about His kingdom. He said no to Jonah. Uh, uh, because he wanted to save other people in Nineveh. Now, you can kind of understand, if you really know what the Ninevites were like, why it was that Jonah really did not want them, them saved. But uh, God said no there because he wanted to save them. First Kings 8, God said no to David's desire to build a temple. That was a good desire. It was a wonderful desire. But God says, you know, I want that blessing to go to your son, Solomon. Okay, so sometimes he says no because, uh, yeah, that's a good desire, but I'm wanting somebody else to have uh, that uh, in their lives. And so even apart from sin and discipline, God will sometimes say no to bless others. And you know what? I think it helps us. If, if I knew that God's no answer to my prayer was because he wanted to pour out his blessings in some other person's life, that'd make it well worthwhile. Uh, absolutely, it would. Now, let's range through a few other scriptures and take a look for some of the other reasons for a no from the Lord. Third reason God will say no to your request is if He's already provided an answer and He wants you to take action now based on that answer. A lot of different examples. I'm going to look at one in Exodus chapter 14. In verse 15, God rebukes Moses for praying. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now Moses is kind of puzzled by this because what's forward? They're right up to the sea. You know, they've they got mountains on the si this side. They've got the Egyptians behind them. They've got the sea in front of them. What's he talking about? Go forward. Uh, but it, God goes on to explain, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Okay, now he knows, but here's the question. Why did God rebuke Moses before he knew that he was going to smite the waters and they were going to be parted? Why does God rebuke him? Well, I believe it's because God had already shown Moses the way out. He had already given an answer to prayer. And right, what was required right now was some action on Moses' part. Let me just try to explain what was going on. God gave a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day to guide his people. And he said, any time that cloud moves, you've got to follow. If it parks in one place, you need to stay and camp there. If it's a month that it's staying there, you just stay there for a month. But any time it moves, you immediately pick up and you start following the cloud. Well, in this passage where he rebukes Moses, that cloud has already gone forward out over the sea. So in effect, God is saying, I want you to follow me. Now, they don't understand because it seems that God's guidance is impossible. Surely God can't mean we're going to, supposed to walk out into the water. It would take a later generation under Joshua to experience the wonder of having the waters part when their feet touched the waters. But I believe what God was saying is it could have happened here if He had just followed the guidance that the Lord has said, follow this glory cloud. Now, God's so patient with us. And uh, God's uh, dealings, He says, okay, because of their little faith, he moves the cloud off of the sea. He takes it behind the Israelites so that it's between the Israelites and the Egyptians. But 
the point is God had already provided for them and he wanted them to be taking some action based upon his provision. If God has enabled you, if he has called you, there's no point in praying further. That's why God rebukes him. What are you praying for? Get up. He says, don't cry out to me. Move forward. We just need to trust and obey. James says the same thing. James says, if you have it within your power to feed and clothe a a naked and a hungry brother in the Lord, and you simply pray and bless that brother, he said, that's disobedience. That's disobedience. You can't be doing that. He said, I have providentially enabled you to answer that prayer. He says the same thing in first, uh, in first John 3, verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So you can't pray in circumstances like that. You act. Why? Because God's already made the provision through you. And so sometimes prayer without action is rebellion. Let me repeat that. Prayer without action can be rebellion if God has already indicated, look, I've provided for you. You're the one who's supposed to be answering this. And many of our prayers are prayers that we could very, very easily answer on our own. Charles Spurgeon tells a a time when this was true in their lives. Their ministry had incredible financial need one time, and their board of elders was getting together to pray earnestly about this. But just before they prayed, he said, wait, before we pray, I want to write something down. And he wrote down, C.H. Spurgeon gives 50 pounds. And he passed it around the the table and uh, just to see what maybe people would already have put on their heart. By the time it got back to him, the whole need had been taken care of and they turned it into a praise meeting instead of a, a prayer meeting. And the point was, Sometimes we are the ones God's blessed and He wants us not to be praying, Lord, please provide for this need. He says, what do you mean you know, provide for this need? I've already given everything you need uh, to be able to do this on your own. Uh, so we need to be sure that we're not like congressmen uh, you know, who love to use other people's monies and other people's efforts to, to provide when God says no. What true charity is, is not spending other people's money. True charity is using the stuff that you have for His glory. Another reason sometimes given in Scripture is if the request itself is sinful. Now, that's pretty obvious, but we don't always get it. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. He's saying you're asking wrongly that you may spend it on your pleasures. So he's saying, you know, some of your prayer requests really are not godly prayer requests. Uh, they're, they're sinful. Luke 9.54 says, When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Now, they were not consumed with God's glory in that situation. They were offended that they had not been given hospitality. They were treated rudely, kicked out of those towns. And uh, they wanted to kind of get even with these guys and show forth their glory. And Jesus rebukes them for having ungodly attitudes. I like what E. Stanley Jones said about prayer. He said, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. And so godly prayer is a surrender of our will to God's will. And if our prayer we discover is out of the will of God, we want it to be an answer of no. 
We, we don't want to be out of God's will, right? And so that is clearly one of the reasons why God will say no. Another reason for God's no answers is that a yes may not be in our best interests. You know, maybe you're asking for more, uh, more money, greater responsibility, more influence. Uh, you know, uh, God may say no because you haven't developed your stewardship abilities yet to a, to a point where if He gives that to you, it could be a curse instead of a blessing. You, you're not enough of a steward. You don't have enough of a steward's heart. Or it could be that the thing that you're asking for might be dangerous for you. My mother uh, one time uh, missed a flight, an airplane flight, and uh, I'm sure she was very anxious at that time pl- praying, Lord, please don't let me miss this airplane. But she missed it. God said no to her prayer request. She had to take a train, which made the trip so much longer. But she discovered later that that plane had crashed. Now, if God had said yes to her prayer request so that she could feel happy for right now, she would have died, right? And so sometimes God says no because it's not in our best interests. Uh, Paul says that this was one of the reasons why God said, I'm not going to remove that thorn in the flesh from you. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure. God knew Paul had so many things that could get to his head, make his head big and puffed up, that he had to bring some things to keep, keep him humble. And so Paul submitted. He said, okay, Lord. Uh, that uh, was the reason he gave. We need to remind ourselves of these things because sometimes we can get discouraged when there's no's and we realize, no, God's no's are for our good. They're for his glory. Sixth, we may simply not need what we are asking for. Uh, there was a father who wrote to his son in college and said, I'm enclosing $10 as you requested in your letter. Incidentally, $10 is spelled with one zero, not two. <laughs> Isn't that just the way God deals with us sometimes? You know, we're asking for something this big. God, nah, what you really need is this. And we just need to submit to that. We need to say, okay, Lord, uh, I'm glad for what you have given. He does not promise to give us all our wants, even though God is so generous. He delights to delight his people. Uh, He gives above and beyond what we could ask or think, which means he gives things that aren't really needs. But what he's promised is, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Seventh, the, the timing may not be right. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is just worn out. He's depressed. He's discouraged. And he says, Lord, I just want to die. I want to go to heaven. Please take my life. And uh, there are people many times who feel that way, and God doesn't answer their prayers either. They just say, Lord, let me get out of the misery of this life. God still had, had more ministry that Elijah needed to do. He wanted the, Elijah to be passing on his mantle to Elisha, so the timing... Uh, was not right in his life. And there are many other examples as well. Uh, David wanted to build the temple. I'd mentioned that uh, earlier. And he wanted to build it so badly, but he said, no, this is not the timing that I've got. I want your son Solomon to do that. When Lazarus got sick, the sisters sent for Jesus, and they said, you've got to come quickly. He's dying. Well, he deliberately waits for three days, and then he has to travel for a couple of days. So anyway, in the meantime, Lazarus dies and he's been dead for some time. But you know what? The timing was absolutely essential for God's glory. Another reason God says no to a legitimate request is he's put us on time out. 
Uh, we don't really use timeouts in our family, so maybe that's not an appropriate expression, but uh, he's, he's in some way uh, giving us some kind of discipline. Psalm 66.18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That is just a flat-out promise. He says, if you're continuing to live in rebellion, you got sin that God's Spirit has convicted you of, and you're saying, yeah, but grace will take care of that. That's okay. God says, listen, I'm not going to hear your prayer. I'm just not going to hear your prayer. You can pray as fervently as you want, but you're not going to get the kind of blessings that you desire in your life. Uh, Proverbs 28.9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. So the Scripture talks about the heavens being bronze. Those are what they made mirrors out of. And it's, it's kind of a picture of your prayers are just bouncing right back to you. You're not going to get anywhere when you continue to live in sin. So here's the point. You daily need to come to the Lord for cleansing. Okay, so this is different than David's, uh, David's uh, uh, discipline on the answer uh, of no. This is where God is just going to say, look, I'm not going to hear your prayers because you're out of relationship with me. The moment you confess your sins, you're back in fellowship. So it's not necessarily the presence of sin. What it is, is that God's not going to listen to a single one of your prayers if you're in rebellion against Him. Let me give you a New Testament verse. 1 Peter 3.7 tells us husbands that if we're, if we're uh, just not treating our wives the way that we should, uh, our prayers are going to all be answered with no. Husbands... Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Some people think God's got to answer all of our prayers. That's absolutely not true. We need to understand the theology of no, and it'll make us appreciate both his yeses and his nos. But on the other hand, there are times when God says no simply because He wants to bring a far more glorious solution to the problem we're facing than what we had actually been asking for. Uh, for example, the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17, she probably prayed for finances. Lord, I need finances for another week of, of food or something. But God glorified His name far more by just making... He didn't give her more food. He just made the food last. He multiplied the little bit of flour that was just enough for one meal, a little bit of oil, over and over and over again all throughout that drought. So it was a different answer, but it was still such a blessing for her. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 4, there was the widow who the, uh, the creditors were coming to take away everything that she had, including her children, and putting them into slavery. And she comes to Elisha and he says, what do you have? He says, all I've got is a little flask of oil. And she, he says, just pour it into a pan and get all the pans you can get. She just keeps pouring and pouring and more pans are coming until finally they run out of pans and then the oil runs out. But it says that she had enough not only to pay off her creditors, but enough to live on for the rest of her life. Okay, So she's not going to be upset at all that God's answering in a totally different way than what she had been uh, actually praying for. Um, there's other examples you could give. We may choose healing, and we pray that our child may be healed. God chooses something far more glorious. He sends our child into the glories of heaven. 
Okay, that's far more glorious than being healed right here. Now, we pray for healing all the time, and that's a blessing, and it's perfectly appropriate to do, but we need to realize heaven is so much richer. Even David's child, was the answer God gave was a, a far more glorious answer than um, if he had been healed. Now, one last reason why God says no is that our request just may not be possible within God's plan. Now, before you stone me for saying heresy, because doesn't the Scripture say somewhere that there's nothing impossible for God? Yeah, but you read it in context. There's nothing impossible that's consistent with God's character. You know, you could say, oh, yeah, I know something impossible for God. Can God cease to be God? Well, no, okay? Nothing's impossible that's, in, uh, that's um, consistent with His character. But the Scripture says it's impossible for God to lie in Hebrews. It's impossible for God to sin. Uh, he cannot deny Himself. So it's impossible for Him to change His plans. That's the way things are. So there are times where God says no simply because it is contrary to His plans. Uh, Christ prayed, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He said, if it is possible. I can guarantee you, because Christ's prayers were always heard, if it had been possible for us to be saved through any other means than for Him to go to the cross, the Father would have answered His prayer. So there are some things that are simply not possible for God to say yes. Let me give an example. There's two people. They both want to marry Sally. <laughs> Lord, let Sally's heart be turned to me. I want to marry her. Well, it's impossible for both of them uh, to marry Sally, right? Uh, there were people on both sides of World War I, World War II, who were praying that their side would win. And on both sides of the Civil War or the war between the states, however you want to word it, and they were praying fervently that the Lord would enable them to win. Only one side uh, could win. And so keep in mind that within God's will, there are good prayers that cannot be answered, but it doesn't mean that uh, things are messed up. His plan is perfect. His theology of no is a perfect theology. So hopefully that's encouraging to you, that the no's are not necessarily because of you. Some people think, what's wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me. God's saying no. And it's not always the case, although we do need to ask, Lord, is this a, a discipline from your hand? Now, the second point, it's not enough to know God's good reasons. It's also helpful to know how he says no, because some people confuse a wait with a no. You know, they just give up praying after two or three times and they say, well, it must not be God's will. I'm not going to pray about this anymore. And uh, th there is a, a difference. And next week I'm going to be praying on when God says wait, uh, not when God says no. But let me quickly list a few ways in which God says no. The first way God does it is by making a yes providentially impossible. And I think that's what was going on with David. Once the baby died, he said, well, there's no more point in praying. Uh, because God has made a yes impossible. I, I guess technically you could say God could have raised that child. He has raised people from the dead. But ordinarily we would say, okay, this is in God's providence as a clear-cut uh, case uh, of a no uh, providentially. So it won't do much good to keep praying and a congressman will get elected if the election's over, right? Once the election's over, okay, I just submit to your will, Lord. Now maybe you can say, Lord, shorten his term. <laughs> However you want to shorten his term, that, that would be appropriate. Uh, if you're praying that so-and-so is going to, Lord, please make so-and-so marry me, and then they end up and marry somebody else, okay, that's a providential no, right? Uh, Sir Eric Roll told about a youngster who uh, was praying fervently in 
I think it was in a Sunday school class, praying fervently that God would make Tokyo the capital of France. And when he started talking with this kid, realized that was the wrong answer that he'd gotten on the exam, <laughs> the geography exam. But think of what a topsy-turvy world this would be if God just answered all of our whims. So there are times where God just says, no, it's not, it's not in your best interest at all. And just providentially, you can know that his, what his answer is. Another way God says no is through the Bible. Let me just illustrate through divorce. Let's say that there is a, a man whose wife has sinfully divorced him and he's praying that she would come to repentance and that she would be restored to him. Now, so far, that's a very godly prayer. That's perfectly appropriate. That's very biblical. But let's say that at some point, this woman marries another man. At that point, she may not come back to him. Even if her husband, her second husband dies, she may not come back to the first husband. That's clearly laid out in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, and Jeremiah 3, 1, both passages say it's an abomination. The whole land will be polluted if you allow that uh, to occur. So that would be a clear providential case where God, well, not providential and biblical, where God has uh, said no. Now, sometimes the no is right at the beginning. Now, there's some pastors in this city who are praying that God will increase welfare, government welfare. And I'm shaking my head. That's not biblical. You know, the Bible describes that as theft, as sin. It's government theft, and it's not appropriate to pray that way. In fact, I really got uh, upset with uh, this one pastor because we were visiting uh, the governor of Nebraska, actually, and this guy was was asking for a subsidy for his church. And I was, I was really upset. I said, no, we don't want any subsidies to the church. This guy may, but that's inappropriate. It's not constitutional. It's not biblical. We need less government, not more government. But anyway, we discussed that a little bit. But uh, if here's the point. If a pastor can pray for something that is unbiblical, you know there's a lot of prayers out there that God is going to be saying no to. And how is He going to say no to it? He's going to say it through the Scriptures. And we've got to fill our minds with God's Scriptures. Otherwise, we're going to be praying all kinds of things that are unbiblical. So how does God say no? Well, it's by illumination, opening our eyes to understand the Scriptures and how they apply. Another way that God says no is through guidance. That's what God did with Paul. Paul prayed three times at this thorn in the flesh and you know, there's differences amongst commentators. Some people think it was an eye disease. Uh, there's other uh, things that people say it was. But whatever it was, three times he prayed that God would remove this from him. And God says, okay, stop praying. God did the same, by the way, with Moses. Moses, uh, one more time, said, oh, Lord, is there any way I could get into the land of Canaan? And God rebukes him. He says, I don't even want to hear any more about this matter. Just leave it alone. And so sometimes there is guidance that comes into our lives. I've had times where... Uh, I am praying, and it's almost as if God is putting a muzzle on my mouth. It's such a strong impression that I should not pray that. I just cease, cease and desist. And I think there is an aspect of guidance that uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord gives. Another way in which God says no is to remove the desire from our hearts. Now, I've seen this a lot of times, where what used to be just a burning desire, oh, Lord, this is so urgent, a few months later... Uh, this person is not even interested in that anymore. Uh, why? Because his desires have begun to line up with God's desires. The closer we get to God, the more our desires are going to be his desires, and he's always going to be granting the desires of our heart. That's what Psalm 37 and verse 4 
is all about. But sanctification helps us uh, in that direction. I've given some scriptures there that you can look at yourself. Another way in which God says no is that He gives our heart's desires in a totally different way than we had anticipated. Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So He's giving our heart's desires, but it's in a totally different way than we had anticipated. For example, your car is busted down, you need transportation, and you're poor. You got about $2,000 to spend and you're thinking, oh Lord, don't let that person buy that Chevy Caprice, you know, that red one in the parking lot there because uh, that's just perfect for me. And the guy buys it and you go to the, you know, the, the um, car, uh, used car uh, sales lot and he's, oh, I really wanted that car. And he says, well, there's one over here that's got 80,000 less miles and it's actually worth 8,000 more than the other car. We'll give it to you for 2,000. Now, you'd be quite happy with that answer, wouldn't you? Uh, I would, and uh, you wouldn't say, no, 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 I was praying for that red Chevy Caprice when you've gotten a far more valuable prize uh, from the Lord. You just wouldn't say that. The mother of Augustine had prayed fervently for Augustine's salvation. Oh, her heart was breaking over this wayward son. And then he was announcing he wanted to go to Rome. And she tried to talk him out of it. She could not talk him out of it. And she prayed to the Lord, Lord, please do anything you can. Keep him away from Rome because she thought Rome would absolutely corrupt him. God said, no, basically, he went to Rome. But you know what? It was in Rome that he got converted. And here's what Augustine said about her prayer. He said, God did not grant her petition, but he gave her her desire. And I, I think that's just really cool that we can, we can just trust God, that he knows the desires of our hearts. And uh, he loves to bless us for his good and his glory. Now, before I make three last applications, let me point out that sometimes what seems like a no may actually be a yes from the Lord. We've totally misinterpreted uh, his, uh, his providence. So we stop praying. And I want you to listen to the following dialogue that Jesus had with the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. Do you sometimes feel like that? You've been praying and praying, and it seems like God is not answering a word. He's just ignoring you. It says, And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, so far, you just assume his answer is no, right? It seems like a pretty clear no. If, if I was there, okay, I, I'm a person who tends not to really be persistent like that. But I want you to look uh, further, verses 27 and following. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. That's the kind of humility we ought to have. You know, there's an insulting remark that's made about you. You say, man, I'm far worse than anything you could say about me. Yes, <laughs> I'm a little dog. But, you know, even the little dogs eat the crumbs that come from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. <laughs> and, her, and her daughter was healed from that hour. So what God was doing, he was drawing her heart to him, 
He was deliberately holding off to test her faith to see to what degree her faith would come to him. I think the Lord does that sometimes. They're not no's. They're just saying, persevere. Come to me. I, I delight in, in, in blessing uh, my people. Let me tell you a story of a, a woman who temporarily failed uh, that test. Kirk Johnson records this in one of his books, but let me back up a little bit in the story where his friend Roger met uh, uh, Mr. Hanover. Roger had gotten discharged from the army after the war. He was hitchhiking home. He was carrying a suitcase with him. And a brand new black Cadillac pulled up and he got in through his um, a suitcase in the back seat. And they started talking, getting, getting to know each other. And they talked about all kinds of things in the car. But as they're going along, Roger just felt this Holy Spirit compulsion that he needed to witness to this guy. He's such a shy guy, though, that he had a hard time. He just kept procrastinating and procrastinating. And uh, finally, it was about half an hour from his destination. He was going to get dropped off before Chicago, and this other guy was going all the way to Chicago, uh, which wasn't too much further. But finally, he got courage up, cleared his throat, and he said, Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something important. And then he then proceeded to share the way of salvation and asked this person if he wanted to pray to receive Christ. Well, to Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac just quickly swerved off the road. He thought he was going to get kicked out uh, of the car. But this guy started weeping, putting his head on the wheel, asking God to forgive him of his sins, to justify him and to save him. And after uh, a while, he thanked Roger and he said, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And he gave him his business card. And by that time, he was close to the area. They dropped, uh, dropped him off and then he just went on. Now, five years went by and on one of his own business trips to Chicago, Roger decided, I'm going to check in on Mr. Hanover. And uh, he uh, went up to Hanover Enterprises. The receptionist said, no, Mr. Hanover is not here, but you can talk uh, to his wife. He was ushered into her office, and when she asked, how do you know my husband? He tells the story about how he picked him up, and uh, he was a hitchhiker on his way home from the military. And she said, can you tell me what day that was that you met him? He said, it was May 7, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. Anything special about that day? And Roger hesitated. He was wondering if he should mention, you know, that he's was witnessing to him because he was kind of a shy fellow, but he decided to take the plunge. And he said, Mrs. Hanover, I explained the gospel. He pulled over to the side of the road. <clears throat> and he wept against the steering wheel. He gave his life to Christ that day. And to his embarrassment, she just starts weeping and weeping and just convulsive sobs are shaking her, her body. And finally, she's able to get a grip of herself and she sobs. She said, I prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him. Uh, she thought he never had been saved. She said he was in a car crash after he let you out of the car. He never got home. You see, I thought God had not kept his promise. And then continuing to weep, she said, I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought he had not kept his word. So there was a case where God in his mercy says, okay, maybe five years of beating up on herself, you know, she can, I'm going to show her that her husband really was saved. 
But there are times, I, I've wondered, how many times are we going to, or we, when we get to heaven, or how many situations are there going to be where we thought there was a no, no answer when it really was God's yes? The point is we can trust God. We can trust God with the burdens of our heart. Many times He's the one who's laid those burdens on our heart in the first place, and we can just trust Him with the answers. But let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And uh, let's give three more applications. Okay, verse 14. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. And I want you to notice the word surely. God says he's going to die. Is David's fasting and prayer rebellion to God's will? I would say no, it was not. In fact, I think David is being a model to us of not being fatalistic when it comes to prayer. And I'm going to explain that and develop it a little bit more fully. But there are a lot of people who are confused about this with regard to prayer. And they just say, well, I'm not praying about it because, I mean, that's all in God's hands. They're fatalistic in the way in which they handle it. For, let me just give you one for, for example. I've met a number of people who have said, I don't pray any longer that God would bring America to repentance because Romans 1 says that it's too late. I think it's presumptuous for us to say that. You know, things were just about this bad back before the first great awakening in America. And there have been times in history, in Israel's history for that matter, when God turned things around under terrible, terrible uh, circumstances, but they are believing God has said no before they've even started to pray. I want you to continue reading verses 15 through 17. The Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became very ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not nor did he eat food with them. Now, why does he pray so earnestly? Hasn't God already made it clear? Isn't this just a waste of energy? Well, let's think about this a minute. Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh, and the message was, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. Why was Nineveh not destroyed? Was that prophecy a false prophecy? See, in Jonah, we hear, Nineveh was not destroyed because there was a deep-seated, true repentance that had been given to the citizens of, uh, uh, of Nineveh. And Christ interprets this and says it was a genuine repentance. They're going to rise up in judgment against that generation of Israelites. Okay? So, because of their deep-seated repentance, God spares them from a judgment that looked like it was absolutely certain. Now, repentance uh, in Acts, it says, then as God granted to the Gentiles repentance. Jonah knows God's the one who gives repentance. If he's sending me to the Gentiles, there must be a reason here. He doesn't want these Gentiles converted. He knows the way that the Lord is working. Now, let me read you one other scripture that helps to be a clue. In Jeremiah 18, God says, all of his prophecies of judgment are conditional. All of them. They're all conditional. 
He says, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. So David is taking this attitude. He has not been commanded not to pray. Now with Moses, Moses has said, don't pray about it anymore. So he says, okay, I'm going to stop. Jonah's not commanded not to pray. He knows it's always appropriate to pray repentance and uh, to plead for mercy from the Lord. And the child is not dead yet. And until God makes a providential no or specifically tells him you cannot pray, he's going to pray until God makes it providentially impossible. Okay? He's going to, uh, he's going to um, uh, uh, seek the Lord's face. And so here's the point. As long as you can claim the Scriptures as a basis for your prayers, God's not going to get mad at you for persevering and persevering in praying. This has been something that's been a big hang-up for people. They say, but what if it's out of the will of God? God has never told us to pray according to His secret will. He said, the secret things, of the Lord belong, uh, secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong to us and to our children that we may keep all the words of this law. And so... When we're praying according to the will of God, what we're doing is we're filling our mouths with arguments from the Scripture based on God's character, His laws, His promises, and we can keep praying those until God has providentially said, no, you've got to stop, or until He has guided us and said, stop praying. You don't need to worry. You can persevere. Okay, a second application is this. Once it becomes impossible for your prayers to be answered, Make sure you have the kind of humble submission that David had. Uh, verses 18 through 20, excuse me, 18 through 23, show David's ability to turn it all over to the Lord, to not grow bitter when God does not answer. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. So David has such a confidence that God's nose are working together for his good that he can worship God, he can adore God for his goodness. That's what Job did. Job didn't understand what was going on, but he worshipped. He loved his master. Though he slay me, yet will I... What's the rest of that verse? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet will I trust him. Verse 20 goes on. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. So he said... While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So are you able to go about life, to rejoice in God, to trust him, even when it hurts, even when he has said no to your heart's desire? You need to be able to do that. Last lesson that I want to draw from this whole subject is that we need to learn to be led by the Spirit in our prayers. David's prayers, oh, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, is a prayer that we need to make our own when it comes uh, to our needs. God's gracious. 
And oh, this, is, this is so wonderful. Even when we are not praying as we should be praying, God has sent His Spirit to be an intercessor within us, to perfect our prayers, and to make sure we're praying what we ought to be praying, or at least that He's praying what ought to be happening on our behalf. And this is what Romans 8 says. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now he's beautifully bringing together two doctrines here. Even those prayers which are not asking something that is according to God's will, he says the Spirit is probably contradicting those prayers, but the Spirit knows our hearts, knows our needs, knows our desires, knows God's will, and He is praying from within us so that everything in life will work together for our good. Now, if you stop offering up your prayers just because you're afraid, well, maybe this is out of the will of God. If you stop praying for that reason, then the Spirit is not going to be offering up those intercessions. So don't be worrying about whether your prayer is perfect because the Spirit is going to perfect those prayers, but He prays as we are interceding, as we are praying. He's perfecting what we are doing. Now, the moment on the one side, don't be afraid of praying because there's a no, possible no. On the other side, the moment we realize God has said no, our hearts need to be so in tune with His will that uh, we're submitting and we're worshiping. And it's God's Spirit who leads us to do so through the Scriptures. Well, let me conclude by reading a poem by a Confederate soldier who had so many no answers in his life and yet he had learned how to rejoice in God's no answers Here, here's the poem I asked God for strength that I might achieve I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey I asked God for health that I might do great things I was given infirmity that I might do better things and I think of Joni Tata Erickson you know in that, that part of the prayer I asked for riches that I might be happy I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among, I am among all men most richly blessed. May we be blessed because we are having godly responses to God's nose. Let's pray. Father, by faith, we want to thank You for the times You have said no, 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 to the things we have said. Father, there are so many people who are praying prayers that are inappropriate, praying that... You would bless some lady preaching and you've already said no in your word to lady pastors or praying that you would bless our children when they're in rebellion to you and you're more concerned about their holiness than their comfort. Father, there are so many ways in which our prayers are out of accord with your will, but I pray that you would cause us to grow, that uh, we would love prayer, cherish it, and have prayer that is so God-centered. Uh, that uh, even the nose that you bring uh, 
uh, our hearts can submit to and delight in. Father, transform us, sanctify us by Your Word. We love You, and yet we want to keep growing in that love. And we uh, just thank and praise You for the privilege that we have of offering up the desires of our hearts before You through the merits of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we ask these things. Amen.